Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. want to take your Bibles, please, and turn to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, page 1200 in the Bibles in front of you, if you want to grab one of those, Romans chapter number 8. As Brian mentioned, we are in the process of continually going over uh, the first Sundays of the month, our core values. Uh, If you'll notice on our website, uh, there is the opportunity for you to look and to see our complete core, excuse me, our complete doctrinal statement with all the bullet points. We're just going to go over the, uh, I'm going to have them put up on the screen, the, the first paragraph underneath the Holy Spirit. And the whole concept of teach, learn, and live is our theme this year, but we really want you to make sure you understand what we are all about as a church. This is something that you should have read when you join the church, or if you're in the process of considering joining the church. This is our doctrinal statement. This is the Holy Spirit section of what that is. So, I'm just going to read it quickly with you. We believe that the Holy Spirit convicts of truth and sin, grants new life to those who believe in Christ, indwells all believers at the time of salvation, and transforms them into the image of Christ. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is the third person of the Trinity. He is a part of the Godhead. And I think it's important to understand. Please keep that up there, because I want to break that down with some Scripture verses. So I want to encourage you today. We're going to do a lot of Scripture. I'm not going to have you turn to all of it, because I have a lot of information to cover. But I encourage you, if you have a pen, to write down these verses, because I'm going to be uh, reading them off, and I encourage you to go back and look at them later, so that you know that what we're talking about in our doctrinal statements is right from the Word of God, not John's idea of it, or Elder's idea, but this is what Scripture teaches on the Holy Spirit. Now, When we talk about the Holy Spirit, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about him. Brian kind of already alluded to that. Francis Chan has a great book that helped me in a big way understand things. It was called The Forgotten God. Uh, And that was a really great book for me because, again, I think it's an oftentimes misunderstood situation. I grew up in a part of Christianity that reacted to anything that in any way threatened my belief system. The Holy Spirit was one of those. Because some other groups in Christianity had an unbiblical view of the Holy Spirit, our reaction in the, in the groups that I grew up with was to distance ourselves from any kind of discussion of or any kind of education, I feel like, when it came to the Holy Spirit and who he really was. This was wrong. I was led to believe that it came down to, are you committed to the Word of God or are you committed to the Spirit of God? And that was a decision that I had to make. The question would have been better or excuse me, I shouldn't say the question, the, the, the focus should have been more, we can be spirit-led and word-centered. In fact, I would say from the scriptures, we need to be spirit-led and word-centered. And they were meant to work in conjunction with each other. So if you came from a background perhaps similar to mine, when there was a fear of anything that was unbiblically used to not even delve into those areas, then I encourage you today to listen closely to the role that the Holy Spirit plays because it's a vital part of the Trinity. He is a vital part of the Trinity that we know and, and, uh, and grab onto and hold to in our belief system. So what I want to do is I want to break this down for you. So we believe that the Holy Spirit convicts of truth. If you want to write down, this is in connection with truth. First verse, John 16, 13. We believe that the Holy Spirit convicts of truth. 
John 16, 13 says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. We believe the Holy Spirit convicts of truth. We also believe the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. If you want to write this verse down, John 16, 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's speaking of the Spirit of God, the he part. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. John 16, 8. Next phrase, grants new life to those who believe in Christ. Grants new life to those who believe in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13, grants new life to those who believe in Christ. The next phrase, indwells all believers at the time of salvation. And dwells all believers at the time of salvation, Acts 2.38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the last phrase, and transforms them into the image of Christ, John 15 and verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So that gives you the scriptural background, and we have more verses we could go over on why we believe that doctrinal statement. There's also some bullet points underneath there that I encourage you to make sure that you're familiar with. The reason I took the time to do all that is because I don't want you to think that we just make this stuff up. Now, I know you don't really believe that, but I also want you to be educated so you yourself can firmly believe these things. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know when we may not be able to meet like this. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We certainly know that there, we don't live in a world that is, that is a polite or even courteous to the Christian culture. More and more, there's an aggressiveness to it. So we need to, as believers, individually not just think, well, as long as the elders are here and they walk us through the doctrinal statement, we'll know why we believe what we believe. No, you need to be able to understand these things and grasp a hold of them and firmly understand them. And I encourage you, if you didn't get those verses or didn't bring a pen or it stopped mid-writing, please see me, I'll make sure that I get those to you. I encourage you to even look at the verses around them to see the context in them. So as I'm trying to break down our doctrinal statement, the hardest thing for me is, man, there's a lot of information here. And I have a limited period of time, which is why ownership for you is important. But what I wanted to do is, I always work best when I can take a, a, a text of Scripture and walk you through it. And one of the, the places in Scripture I love, I loved our study of Romans, um, I, I mean, I probably love every study once we get into it. Some of them are like, how am I going to do Ecclesiastes? But once I got into it, man, that was a lot of fun. But as you get into this, Romans is so rich. There's so much stuff there. So I want you, hopefully you've turned there already, to Romans chapter 8. And I want you to today to go along with me so you can understand the work of the Holy Spirit from Romans chapter 8. Now, interestingly, Romans, the first chapter, from chapter 1 to chapter 7 in Romans, chapter 1 to chapter 7, you know how many times the Holy Spirit was mentioned in chapters 1 to chapter 7 of Romans? Do we have any? Clarence, do you know how many times? I love doing this to Clarence. Just kidding. I'm sure you don't have any idea. You can guess, though. What was <laughs> Clarence, remember your corner right up here. With... How many times has the Holy Spirit mentioned Romans 1 to chapter 7? You can't even look it up right now because you have to look at me. Want to guess? Ooh. 
You're closer to the second part, but that's good. One time. Now, on chapter 8, though, Clarence, you're close. 20 times in chapter 8. Once in the first seven, 20 times in chapter 8. Now, when you think of the Holy Spirit, I want you to make sure you get this. And Romans 8 is going to share it with us so amazingly. The Spirit of God and the Son of God work together in all that they do. And you and I as believers today, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit of God living in you. We showed you that in our doctrinal statement. We believe that. And I just want to encourage you today that you understand the power and the working of the Holy Spirit and what it really means for you as a child of God to have the Holy Spirit as we walk through Romans chapter 8 and do that. So the first point, Christ and the Holy Spirit work together, verses 1 and 2. Let's read that section. Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. For, excuse me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, that always gets me excited. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then there's no condemnation on you. When you die, you're going to enter the presence of God. There's no condemnation. You're not responsible for the sin that was crucified on the cross with Christ's death. You and I have no condemnation if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That should get you excited. Now, we get excited about so many things. Do we get excited about the fact that we are the blood-bought children of God? That when my eyes close in death, I will not suffer any of the repercussions of the sinful flesh in which I live because as a child of God, I'll be in the presence of God for eternity. That's the security we have, folks. There's no condemnation. Now, he uses that word, therefore. One of the things you'll hear any of the guys that get up here in Bible college or seminary say, whenever there's a therefore, you have to ask the question, wherefore? Why? Why is it there? Well, what was Paul talking about in the first sections there of Scripture? In chapter 7, I'm just going to pull out this verse. We could, just to give you the, the, the basic premise. <clears throat> Look with me to chapter 7 and verse number... 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? His premise in going through that was only Christ can deliver me from the body of death. Only Christ. Only Christ. We have no condemnation. Who is he talking about there? Anyone who has a personal relationship with Christ. Now, let's make this clear. It's a personal relationship with Christ, not a knowledge of God, not that you're not a, you don't feel like you're an enemy against Jesus Christ, because we'll hit that later on in chapter 8, but that you have come to a point in your life where you entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ because you understood you were a sinner who needed a Savior, and you took his gift of salvation. That's the simplistic way of it. I love that God made it easy for even a child to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law showed mankind his inability to fulfill the law, but Christ was able to fulfill it for all mankind. It revealed the law, that is, revealed the sinfulness of mankind, and as a result, it led to failure in their own lives 
and sin in their own lives because they couldn't fulfill the law. It showed them their frailty and their humanity. But Christ came and made a way for mankind to have an eternity with him. And I love the verse here, the way he says it. For those who are in Christ Jesus, verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. What's the spirit of law? The law of the spirit of life is that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have his spirit in us. And we've been freed from the law of sin and death. That the law was, was used by God to show mankind that they couldn't fulfill the law in their flesh. And that as a result of that, their condemnation, their end would have been death. It was sin because they couldn't meet it. In fact, they even added rules onto it a lot of times. But what's important for us to get in the bigger context here is that we understand that we see that Christ and the Holy Spirit are working together here. Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice in his death and burial and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit then came in to give us the guidance and direction and conviction in our day-to-day lives. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you are free. The bondage of sin and death are broken The law pointed us to our need for a Messiah, and Christ became that Messiah. And he and the Holy Spirit work in conjunction. Christ died that you might have life and have a personal relationship with him. Verse 3, Christ came to redeem mankind. Verse 3, hello? Verse (laughs) 3, happens all the time, you know. Verse 3, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The law could not deliver us from the penalty of sin. Our weakened flesh was not righteous. Christ took on flesh, and on the cross, he took on our sin, all of our sin, that we might have redemption This was done by the sinless, righteous Son of God for our redemption. As a result, all who accept his gift of salvation, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, become righteous, excuse me, righteous in Christ. Wow, that was bad. Righteous in Christ, and they receive his spirit. You see, once again, how the Spirit and Christ, they work together. His Spirit, if you are His child, resides in you right now. Christ came to redeem mankind, verses 3 and 4. Then we look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The Holy Spirit and the flesh are enemies. Those who live according to the flesh are not followers of Christ or true believers in Christ. Now, that interesting, that phrase, set their mind on the things that are of the flesh, that says there, what are those things? The Greek verb there for set gives the idea of a mindset that would include your affections, 
your mental processes, and your will. Now, I'm not here to talk anyone out of their salvation, but I also don't want to make anyone have a false sense of security that shouldn't be there in a relationship that doesn't exist. As you read this passage, as we go through this, I want you to ask yourself if you're consistent, that's an important word, consistent mindset of the, is of the flesh. Is your consistent mindset one of the flesh? If that's true, then based on the scripture, we can't be a child of God. What I want you to get from this is the confidence in either your relationship with Christ in this passage or a confidence to understand where you're really at so you can deal with your spiritual condition. Now let's look at those verses again. For those who live, it's in a consistent lifestyle, according to the flesh, where they set their minds, remember what minds? Affections, mental processes, and will on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. There isn't a middle ground, folks. There isn't a middle ground. I'm either a blood-bought child of God living in the sanctification process, or I'm not. And if I'm not, I'm an enemy of God, the Bible says. There's not that middle ground. There's a hostility that it says here. They're hostile to God. Why? Because it doesn't submit to God's law. Folks, the way that we get to know Christ as Savior and have him become a part of my life and have the Spirit of God then be there to seal me, to guide me, to protect me, to speak into me, to convict me, is that I have that relationship with Christ. If I have that relationship with Christ, then as I am sanctified by him, I'm going to change to become more like him. If I have been saved for 10 and 15 and 20 years, and I still have the same mind of the flesh, or I say that I'm that way, I've at least got to stop and start asking questions. Now again, my intention isn't to shake anybody's faith. It's to confirm it and seeing the sanctifying process of Christ, or to say, make sure you know him as Savior. Because why is it that hostility? Again, it says there, because he doesn't submit to God's law. God's got the process that he laid out for our salvation. There's no other way. You can't go to church a long time and you get your gold badge. You can't read the Bible through 20 times and you get this free pass. There's one way to heaven, and it's through Christ and a personal understanding that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and asking him to come in and wash away my sins and be my Savior. That's it. It's simple. God didn't make it complex, but it's necessary for salvation. Now, I realize there are many here who don't know the exact moment in time, but you have to know that there was a point in time when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and now you're alive in Jesus Christ. It's important. 
And then as you're alive in Jesus Christ, things are going to start to change in your life. Not because of you, because the Spirit of God's working in you. He changes your attitudes and your actions, <clears throat> excuse me, convicts of sin, points out things, encourages you when you feel hopeless. He's the only one that's there sometimes when you cry into your pillow at night. He's the only one there that can calm a hurting heart at times. He will never leave you, as the scriptures say, and he'll never forsake you. But the Holy Spirit and the flesh are enemies. It's important that we understand that. You can't live with one foot in each camp. You're either a blood-bought child of God and you're being sanctified by him, or you're an enemy of God. There's a line down the middle. Verse number nine. The Holy Spirit resides in all believers. Verse number nine through 11. <clears throat> you who, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead <clears throat> excuse me, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. If you're in the Spirit, he will dwell in you. You are his home. And you're going to begin to produce the fruit of the Spirit who's dwelling in you. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Our flesh is not redeemed, but our spirit is. Our flesh still fights against us. Our flesh, we all know it's there. It's the one that doesn't want to do the things we know that God's convicting us to do. It's the one that when we get angry about things, <clears throat> wants us to lash out. That's the sinful flesh we bear in our lives. But if we're a child of God, we're redeemed. His spirit can and will produce righteousness in us. I like the, the verse in verse number 10 there. <laughs> if you go with me to verse 10. Um, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead, the spirit is life because why? Of righteousness. He's the one that gives you that righteousness that we and ourself could not have. Folks, that's got to be a comfort that in this day and age, when things can seem hopeless. And I'm not saying that the world hasn't always been hopeless, but I think we're more aware of it because of all the things that tell us about how hopeless the world is. I mean, most of us have a phone, a cell phone, I should say. Most of us have a cell phone, and most of you have internet access to that, and most of you probably get news or some sort of information on that to tell you what's going on in the world. <clears throat> Whenever you want it. And, and, and we see better than ever before the hopelessness of the world that we're in. But what we don't see is the working of the gospel in the world around us. We saw that little girl from Togo. Was it Togo? Is that correct? From Africa. And how she was impacted because a couple, who unfortunately he's a Denver fan, but we'll give, we'll give it to him anyways, but I saw a couple who decided to invest money in helping out a little girl 
so that the gospel can be given in a village, in a place they might not ever visit, that we might not ever hear about. Folks, right now, and I realize there's time differences in the time zones of the world, but if we can put everybody in a Sunday morning, we have no idea how many Christians are gathering together. Now, folks, we're here on the third floor of a building. We could open the windows, and we could proudly proclaim the gospel and the music that we have here without fear of other than possibly irritating our neighbors, with no fear of repercussion by the government. But you know, there's Christians who live in parts of the world who have one Bible to share amongst them. You know there's Christians in parts of the world that have no Bible in their language, but they still gather to worship the Lord from the little pieces that they've put together as individuals have helped them understand the Bible. There's people that are meeting in tents. There's people that are meeting in the open. There's people that are meeting in large buildings, all for the purpose of praising and glorifying God. See, that should excite us, folks. We don't have to be hopeless, but on top of that, let's pull back. When you leave this building, you don't leave the presence of God. If you're at home at two in the morning and nobody's awake and you wake up, you're not away from the presence of God. When you feel completely lost, God has not abandoned you. One time I was on my way out to Off the Wall in Ohio. I think it was the first time I was going out there to check out the ministry. And of course, I didn't pay attention to the weather because I'm a guy. And I went out that way. Now I'm an old guy, so I actually do pay attention to the weather. And I was on my way out there in <clears throat> my little Saturn. <clears throat> Excuse me, man. And it was on a road I'd never been on before in Ohio, and I couldn't see anything. It was a whiteout, and I'm driving down the road, and a car flies by me. I try to pull over a little bit because he was flying, hit the edge of it, spun around. Next thing I know, I'm in a ditch. Now, this is one of those times when it's wonderful because I pull out my cell phone that has no bars in a country that is foreign to me, and I'm looking around. I don't see any houses anywhere. And when I walked into the middle of the road, I finally got a couple bars, and I started calling people that could potentially help me get out of that ditch. And I got back, and my car was like at this weird angle, so you couldn't like get in it and like sit there and go, well, I hope somebody comes. It's snowing outside, and I'm feeling completely, and I'm thinking through, well, I could probably, if I walk far enough, you know, I mean, I, I had clothes in the trunk, I could probably get them out, and I could probably, I, I wasn't afraid of dying, but I didn't know what was going to happen. And there's a sense of hopelessness when you are completely out of your element, can't get a hold of anybody, aren't sure what's going to happen, unfamiliar. And yet, as a child of God, I remember thinking, okay, John, take a deep breath. No matter what happens, God's with you. Get the Holy Spirit with you. And he's going to get you through this no matter what it looks like. And that he'll be with me until my point of death when I'll then awake in heaven and my eyes will open and I'll see my Savior. That's exciting. Folks, that's the reality is we don't have to be hopeless because he's with us. He loves you enough to send Christ to die, but then he has the Holy Spirit to live with you until you physically die and are in the physical presence of the God of eternity. That's an amazing thought, folks. Now, I'm not saying knowing that, like I said, doesn't mention there's not going to be challenges and hopelessness in life, but you can always pull back to that promise 
that fact, that affirmation that we can know. Now, verse 12. The Holy Spirit brings freedom from sin. So then, brothers, which, by the way, obviously I got out of that situation. I am still alive, so... In case I left you on a cliffhanger there, I kind of assumed you knew the story, but maybe not. So then, brothers, this section, I mean, this whole passage is awesome, but really listen to this section, okay? So then, brothers or sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, that ongoing sanctification process, you will live for all who are led by the Spirit of God. How does the Spirit lead us? Through the Scriptures, through His presence in our life, which is never contrary, by the way, to Scripture. Led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, daughters of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of of adoption as sons and daughters. I love this one. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is awesome stuff, folks. The flesh we live in will dog us until we get to eternity. But through the Spirit, His Spirit, we can day by day and moment by moment defeat it. If we're led by the Spirit, is talking about the Spirit working in conjunction with the Scriptures. His promptings in our life will always walk hand in hand with us wherever we go. Our ongoing sanctification is a sign of our sonship. As a result, we don't have to have the fear that other people have because our Father has got it all in control. You don't have to go back to that spirit of slavery. I think back to the Israelites. They finally got out of Egypt, which was horrible, horrible, horrible. But when they felt hopeless, they wanted the familiar of the horrible rather than the promise of the hope that Christ had for them in establishing his kingdom through them. Folks, we have that as his sons and daughters. As a result, we don't have to fear because we have been Adopted. Now, I love that phrase, Abba, Father. It's an intimate term that means in, in, uh, in Aramaic, Daddy or Papa. Now, I don't hear too many 50-year-olds calling their daddy, Daddy. They usually say Dad, or my kids love to call me John B. I'm not sure why, but they like to do that. I remind them I'm the only person that the four of them can call Dad in the whole world, but we're working through that. But you know what? I always love to hear when a little child will see their father and they turn around and I love when you see the big smile and the eyes light up and the arms open and they run and go, Daddy! Our God is our Daddy. As little children we come and he's the one that protects us. He's the one that takes care of us. He's the one that provides for us for eternity. He's a father to the fatherless. He's an adopter of the orphans. He's the God of the universe. And the devil is going to constantly try to dog you with your defeats and your failures and your second guesses and the wrong paths you felt you went down. 
But I'm telling you, claim on to these promises. No matter where your paths have weaved or woven to, they're part of God's ultimate plan as the Spirit leads us, and he's got you. And he's got a great future ahead. And how many Christians are sitting on the side of the road having lost hope because of their past? And God can't get over this one. Or God, how could you have sent me in that one? Instead of going, you're there all the way. You're my daddy. You're my daddy. Daddies never, <clears throat> I shouldn't say that, proper dads, biblical dads, will never put their children in harm's way but they'll always sacrifice themselves. Biblical dads. Now, we have a lot of non-biblical dad situations in our world. I know that. That's why I'm glad that God the Father is Abba Father to all. Biblical fathers won't ever put their kids in harm's way, but they'll ask them to do things that they don't quite understand. My children to this day don't know why I told them to clean their rooms. I realize that's a simplistic view of it. But there's oftentimes where things that we're told, like they don't know. How many of us, though, you don't have to raise your hand, as we've gone through life, have looked back and thought, you know what, Dad was right. Now, we don't tell him that usually. But we know. God's always got your best interest in front of him. Verse 16 and 17 will be done. The Bible says this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs. Now, listen to this phrase. Then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We have everything Christ has been promised as the Son of God. We have as fellow heirs with Christ. That's awesome, folks. Provided we suffer with him, in order that we also might be glorified with him. Whoo! Why do you have to throw that there at the end, the suffer part? I mean, whoo, awesome, glory, praising God. Suffer? See, because if you look through scriptures and we pay attention, we like those rose-colored glasses, don't we? If you look through scripture, suffering is a normal, natural part of being a Christian. Now, when we think suffer, we think somebody in bondage in some non-Christian world, that's what we think, Right? Suffering takes place in lots of different ways. Spiritual warfare, suffering, ridicule by others, rejection by your family for your stand as a Christian or who you are in Christ. But I will say this, a sign of being a Christian is you're going to suffer in some way. But you never, listen to this, you never, ever, ever suffer alone. And he will always be there to get you through it. Always. And if you feel like he's turned his back on you, I encourage you to turn around because he's been there all along. But suffering is a part of this. I know it's hard to get that when we think of being in America, but we suffer in different ways and can for our faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing the Holy Spirit to indwell us. Lord, I do pray if there's someone here today that does not know you as Savior, that they would see the amazing love gift that you gave to them that can only come from you, God. And that, Father, this isn't a cultic mindset. It's not some crazy, this word has been around forever, Lord, this Bible. 
But Father, our world's fighting against it. I ask that you break down barriers and walls and help people to understand the simplicity of the gospel. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Father, help us to remember and cling on to the promise of the Spirit. Let him guide us and direct us and convict us and confront us and encourage us on our journey. Help us to have a right view of who the Holy Spirit is and the part he plays in our day-to-day lives. In your precious name, amen.